Twinkle, twinkle, little bat, how I wonder what you're at. Up above the world so high, like a tea tray in the sky. Hello, welcome to History Obscura on this terribly cold evening. I am your host, Mandy, and with me as always is a large contingent of feline administrators, pest controllers, and general support animals. As always, we are here to bring you a lovely bedtime story, so get cozy with your very hot cup of tea. If it's minus 30 degrees Celsius in your world right now, go ahead and add a spoonful of sugar. Once upon a time, in the early 1900s, it was posited by astronomers Guglielmo Marconi, Lord Kelvin, and David Peck Todd that radio could be used to contact Martians. With Marconi stating that his stations had already picked up potential Martian signals. Following on the heels of this hot debate, there came a time in 1923 and 1924 when it was determined that the Earth would come into its closest proximity with Mars, that is, for a century. And so during that time, efforts would be made to determine whether or not there was anyone on that planet. The idea of the radio being a powerful enough instrument to be used in such a way was initiated in 1896 by Tesla, as I do imagine you recall, and soon followed at the turn of the century with support for the idea by Marconi and Kelvin. One Percival Lowell was desperate to get in touch with the intelligence behind what he called Martian canals. A massive effort was put into place by the U.S. government. The initiative demanded five minutes of radio silence per hour over a 36-hour period in the hopes that radio silence, Earthside, would reveal the proximity of any Martian signals. This was called National Radio Silence Day. William F. Friedman, the chief of the code section in the office of the chief signal officer of the Army, was on the job and ready to decipher any messages that might need deciphering, which was some very hopeful thinking. Not only was it hypothesized that there might be life, but that it was also sufficiently advanced from some semi-primordial goo as to have a technology capable of interplanetary communication, and that a code expert might be able to read anything that came in. Unfortunately, nothing of note did come in. No messages from the inhabitants of Mars. This hasn't stopped humankind from listening, of course. Some years later, Jerry entered the story. Jerry was a volunteer astronomer with SETI, that is, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. As such, Jerry regularly worked with the Ohio State University's Big Ear Telescope. Founded and directed by Dr. John D. Krauss, the Big Ear Radio Telescope covered an area larger than three American football fields. This unique astronomical probe was located in Delaware, Ohio, though it has since been dismantled. 
When Big Ear started its cosmic exploration officially in 1973, volunteers excitedly flocked to the 103-meter radio telescope, ready to pour over sections of the sky for 12 hours a day, seven days a week. They got to work, and then they waited. The job was less glamorous than it had seemed upon proposal. Jerry's role at the observatory involved analyzing by hand large amounts of data processed by an IBM 1130 computer and recorded on printer paper. These printouts were normally comprised of a series of numbers between 1 and 10, each numeral representing the intensity of specific sets of microwaves between 1 and 10 gigahertz. 1 was the least intense, while 10 was the highest. In cases of intensities off the scale, however, the computer would use the alphabet starting from A after 10 and going theoretically all the way to Z. So where 1 signifies a very weak signal, Z indicates a very strong signal. On August 15th of 1977, after some four years of waiting and digging through papers, hoping for someone to get in touch, the big ear computers finally required those big numbers and letters. Jerry Emmon discovered the anomaly a few days after it happened while he was reviewing the recorded data. The signal appeared to come from the direction of the constellation Sagittarius and lasted 72 seconds. He was so impressed by the result that he circled it on the computer printout and wrote, wow. The intensity was marked at 6EQUJ5. The trouble is, despite numerous attempts to find this signal again in the same part of the sky, it's never been found. An interesting theory was asserted in 2016, however. A seeming explanation to the one-off high-intensity microwave signal was posited to the world thanks to the work of Professor Antonio Paris of St. Petersburg College, Florida. Before working as an astrophysicist at the St. Petersburg College, Paris was an analyst for the U.S. Department of Defense. I have this investigative background, he said. So I approached the wow signal as if I'm going back to the crime scene. It's a cold case, so I went to various astronomical databases to find culprits or suspects that were at the crime scene at the right time. He didn't find aliens, but he did find two comets. Known as 266P Christensen and 335P Gibbs, these comets have never been investigated before, or at least they hadn't, because they were only discovered in 2006 and 2008. Paris found that they were both in the vicinity of Chai Sagittarii on the day that the WOW signal was detected. This was a significant discovery because comets are surrounded by clouds of hydrogen gas that are millions of kilometers in diameter. The WOW signal itself was detected by our friend Jerry at 1420 megahertz, which is a radio frequency that hydrogen naturally emits. A group of astronomers, including Professor Paris, 
set up a crowdfunding page asking for financial support to study the Christensen and Gibbs comets the next time they passed by Earth, which was to be in 2017. An exhaustive study followed. To see if a signal could have come from comets, Harris first used a radio telescope to look at the sky in the region of the WOW signal. He wanted to see what the background noise was like at the relevant frequency. He also checked two other comets to be sure that they did, in fact, emit radio signals at the 1420 MHz frequency, and found that they did. So, in January of 2017, Harris directed the radio telescope to point at Comet 266P Christensen as it passed through the region of the sky where the WOW signal was seen, or heard. The comet passed near, but not exactly, where the signal had been, about two degrees north of the 1977 signal location, and it did indeed emit the same type of signal. This was compelling, and yet several astronomers, including Jerry Emin, felt that Paris was wrong about the comet. Emin looked at Paris's study with Robert Dixon, who directs the radio observatory at The Ohio State University. And upon inspection, he feels that there are two issues. The first is that the signal didn't repeat, and the second issue is that it appeared for such a short time. Emin noticed that the Big Ear Telescope had two feed horns, each of which provides a slightly different field of view for a radio telescope. And because of this, he explained, we should have seen the source come through twice in about three minutes, one response lasting 72 seconds and a second response of 72 seconds. We didn't see the second one. The only way that can happen he continued, as if the signal was cut off. A comet wouldn't produce that kind of signal because the gases that surround them cover large, diffuse areas, nor would the comet have escaped from the radio telescope's field of view that fast. A divide therefore exists currently between astronomers who are convinced that WOW was caused by a passing comet and those who are not convinced. Further attempts are, as ever, being made to record and decipher a range of signals from outer space, including those of the team of Breakthrough Listen, launched by Stephen Hawking and Yuri Milner in 2015. Breakthrough Listen was established to allow telescopes to eavesdrop on planets that orbit the million stars closest to Earth and 100 nearest galaxies. Leading researchers have secured time on two of the world's most powerful telescopes in the U.S. and Australia to scan the Milky Way and neighboring galaxies for radio emissions that betray the existence of life somewhere else. The search will be 50 times more sensitive and cover 10 times more sky than previous hunts for alien life. The telescopes will scan the center of the Milky Way and the entire length of the galactic plane Stephen Hawking said the effort was critically important and raised hopes for answering the question of whether humanity has company in the universe. It's time to commit to finding the answer, to search for life beyond Earth, he said.
Mankind has a deep need to explore, to learn, to know. We also happen to be sociable creatures. It is important for us to know if we are alone in the dark. The project will not broadcast signals into space because scientists on the project believe humans have more to gain from simply listening out for others. Hawking, however, warned against shouting into the cosmos because some advanced alien civilizations might possess the same violent, aggressive, and genocidal traits found among humans. A civilization reading one of our messages could be billions of years ahead of us. If so, they will be vastly more powerful and may not see us as any more valuable than we see bacteria, he said. Dan Werthemer, chief scientist on the SETI at Home project, said that since some stars are twice the age of the sun, there may be planets around them that are home to civilizations many billions of years more advanced than humanity. Alien civilizations could be leaking radio emissions in the same way TV broadcasts and radar signals on Earth spread out into space. Or they could be transmitting greetings into the space and hope that somebody is listening. After all, that's what Earthlings have been doing in the form of digital messages, radio signals, Morse code, and prayers for thousands of years. In fact, a 2012 WOW reply was formally beamed into the area of space from which the 1977 signal appeared. Directed by the National Geographic Channel and Arecibo Observatory, a package of digital information was beamed out to the heavens on Wednesday, August 15th, containing Twitter messages from the public submitted via the hashtag ChasingUFOs, as well as videos from celebrities. The packet included this tidbit from an American comedian. Greetings, intelligent alien life forms. I am Stephen Colbert, and I come to you with an important message on behalf of all the peoples of the Earth. We are not delicious. In fact, we're kind of gamey, and we get stuck in your teeth. It's really embarrassing at a job interview. If you want something good to munch on, go to the nearby Crab Nebula and bring a bib. Seriously, all you can eat. That's all for tonight, folks. Thanks for listening, as always. If you'd like to support the show or listen without ads, you can go to patreon.com forward slash historyobscura and subscribe to the ad-free platform. You can also... Give us a little tip now and then on buymeacoffee.com forward slash history obscura. And you can even hit us up at some tea public links that are on our social media and get some branded t-shirts, pillows, blankies, tote bags, and other bits and bobs. Thank you so, so much for listening, sharing, giving good ratings, and buying stuff, but mostly for listening. Good night.